Welcome everyone to Unsafe Space. You're watching Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, on Deprogrammed by former social justice warrior, Carrie Smith. Carrie, say hi. Hi, Carter. And your Good minion. You have a, you're, you're petting your dog like you're uh, evil. Oh, <laughs> villain! <laughs> I'm trying to keep him calm. It's like the it's the mailman hour oh. that we're doing. If it we're were a white cat, it would be better. But okay. Um, <laughs> today we're really uh, honored to be joined by uh, by a really special guest, Yasmin Muhammad. Yasmin is an author, a university educator, and an activist who advocates for the rights of women living within Islamic majority countries, as well as those who struggle under religious fundamentalism. She's also the founder of Free Hearts, Mind, Free Hearts, Free Minds, an organization that provides psychological support for free thinkers living within Muslim-majority countries, where the state-sanctioned punishment for leaving Islam is death. Her book, Unveiled, is a memoir-slash-polemic that recalls her experiences growing up in fundamentalist Islamic household and her arranged marriage to a member of Al-Qaeda. In it, she sheds light on the religious trauma that so many women still today are unable to discuss. You can follow her on Twitter at YasmuhammadXX. You can go to yasminmuhammad.com or her, her organization, freeheartsfreeminds.org. I'll put links to all of that stuff uh, below so that you can, you can find it there. Um, Yasmin, welcome to Deprogrammed. Thank you so much for having me, Carter, and thank you so much for having me, Carrie. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, Yasmin, I imagine that given the bio that we just read in a forced uh, arranged marriage to an Al-Qaeda member and some of the other uh, details of your childhood, people might be surprised to learn where you grew up. Uh, why don't you tell people where you grew up and where all this happened? Yeah, so I actually grew up in Vancouver, B.C., Canada, so uh, not too far from uh, from where you guys are right now, just uh you know, North America, pretty crazy. People read my story and they think, oh, did that happen in Afghanistan? Did it happen in Saudi Arabia? But no, it happened right in your own backyard. Maybe you can tell us just for the audience members who haven't uh, read your story and aren't super familiar with it. Um, maybe you can just give us a little bit of uh, a background. What exactly happened and how you escaped? So um, what happened is that... I grew up in a fundamentalist Muslim household. So even though I'm here in Canada, the home that I was living in was like a little mini Sharia. So I lived in a bubble that was separate from the rest of the society. So similar to other insular fundamentalist groups like um, Hasidic Jews in New York, for example, you could grow up in that community and not even speak English as your first language. You're right there in the middle of New York City, but you're so separated from the rest of society. So that's kind of what it was like for me, except that, of course, uh, we didn't have like a separate area like the Hasidic Jewish people do in New York. But um, we had separate schools, separate everything. So we only interacted with each other. There is a a verse in the Quran that says Muslims should not befriend non-Muslims. So uh, that was taken very seriously. Now, I should explain that up until I was about five or six years old, my family were not fundamentalist Muslims. So my parents, my mom grew up in Egypt, super secular. My dad grew up in Palestine, also super secular. 
then they met in university in Egypt. And once they got married, they decided to move down to San Francisco. And they were there during the peace, love and hippie era. And um, it was a little bit too much love for my mom. So she wanted to (laughs) go somewhere where it was a bit quieter. And so she encouraged my dad to move to Vancouver, Canada, because similar um, temperature. They really liked the climate. Of course, it turns out it's not similar at all. But anyway, Um, so they came here and they had me shortly thereafter. And then their marriage fell apart. So they weren't together for very long. Like when I was, I never knew my dad in in our house, but then my mom, I was the the third child. So my mom was left with three children. Now she's in a new country. She doesn't have any friends. She doesn't have any support system. She's never worked here yet. Like she doesn't have any connections. She would have, if she were still in San Francisco, but she was here and she didn't have any connections. And so where does a Muslim girl go looking for connection when she's in a country and she doesn't know anybody? She goes to the mosque. And in the mosque, she met this man who was already married and already had three children, but he offered to marry her and take her on as his second concurrent wife and to raise his kids. Now, it's important to understand that even though my mom grew up in a secular world, it was still quite racist, uh, sorry, it's still quite sexist. And um, she never really thought of herself as a full individual human being. She was always thinking of herself as like her value comes from the man that she's attached to. So when wow. there's a woman who's divorced and with three children, she thinks of herself as sort of this um shameful thing in society so she really wanted to just get attached to a man so that she could feel like she was of some value and uh so she marries this guy who makes all sorts of demands right that's when she started to cover her hair that's when he came into our lives and he was like everything is haram haram means forbidden so suddenly i wasn't allowed to play with my barbie with my friends anymore because they were non-muslim I wasn't allowed to ride a bicycle anymore because, and this is true for many, many Muslim women to the point that there's actually a, a movie about this made by a Saudi Arabian woman called Wajda. But I wasn't allowed to ride a bicycle because the fear is that it might break your hymen and then you won't be a virgin when you get married. Yeah, so, I've heard that. That's interesting. I've heard that in when I was a kid from kind of like fundamentalist Christian communities as well. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Can't ride a horse, can't, like nothing. You're raised basically like veal. They're always worried that you're, you're going to break your hymen. Like you're a little, like you're this egg. Um, and yeah, not allowed to to swim anymore because of course it's showing too much skin and everything was haram, haram, haram. Music was forbidden. Music was haram. So he came and he's like breaking my mom's records um, we used to listen to all sorts of, my mom liked country music. We had like Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers, broke them all. My mom just stood there as this man came into our house and broke her records because music is haram and she just accepted it all. Anyway, fast forward all these years. Go, sorry, how, Carrie, go ahead. How old were you when she first uh, met him or he came into your life? Yeah, I was between five and six years five old. Six. Yeah. Wow. But I remember it because it was, it was... It's really shocking because you can just all of these things like that's what what's your favorite thing to do when you're that age? Play with your friends, (laughs) birthday parties, right? Like swimming, riding a bike, everything that you want to do as a kid is taken away from you. So it was a very shocking um, 
you know, it's like a traumatic moment. Uh, years later, I took my husband to the apartment building where this happened. And I was just showing him. I had no idea this was going to happen to me. So I took him there and I'm like, I just wanted to show him this is the apartment that I grew up in before this man came into our lives and ruined everything. And we just pulled into the parking lot of the building. And I was hysterically crying. I didn't even like know what was going on. It was like I was completely, I couldn't talk. I couldn't breathe. I just couldn't stop crying. And he's, of course, concerned that people are going to wonder why it's this man with this hysterically crying woman. And he's trying to usher me into the car. (laughs) And it was kind of, you know, he told me later, like, how freaked out he was. Like, people are going to wonder, why is he taking a a crying woman into a car? What's he doing to her? But uh, we couldn't, I couldn't even show him anything. Like, I wanted to show him the building. I wanted to show him the swimming pool and the, the, you know, the playground. I couldn't show him anything. I could barely get out of the car and I just couldn't stop crying because it was really, you know, I didn't realize until that moment how, how mean, how much my life just, it was really such the, the very first traumatic moment of my life is when he entered it. And then of course it was, you have to study Quran, you have to start praying and all of the religious stuff that, um, that was on top of that. So all of these things that were taken away and then all of these things that were put on me and literally, so put on me, one of those things was the hijab. So when I was nine years old, I started, I had to cover myself um, from head to toe, except everything had to be covered except for my face and hands. And uh, that was from the age of nine till about 19 when my face and hands had to be covered as well. And that's, yeah. Um, So my book goes into a lot more detail, but essentially... Um, my mom had been trying to force me into a marriage with my second cousin in Egypt. That was like, she just left me in Egypt because that was, which is again, another common story. It happens all the time. Girls that are too Westernized or that they question too much, or they push their boundaries too much in a Western country, their family just takes them to wherever, Pakistan, Egypt, Somalia, you know, Iraq. And they just leave them there. Now, in today, I know girls that have been able to contact the U.S. Embassy. They've been able, like this one girl was helicoptered, like they helicoptered her out of Iraq to like some other place. And she wouldn't say where for privacy issues. And then they got her on a private plane back to the States. Like it's really, you know, this crazy rescue mission. But that's because now people have cell phones and laptops and they know how to connect with people on Twitter and Facebook and whatever. But at the time when this all happened to me, this was pre any social media, pre iPhones. So when I was left in Egypt, I was just left there for two years until I was finally able to find my way back home. And once I got home in Canada again, uh, of course, my relationship with my mom was was very, very bad because I had defied her demands to marry my cousin. So she felt like the best way to control me was to get a man that was strong enough to control me. And in her opinion, a man that could finally do that would be the jihadi that she forced me into a marriage with. Wow. And... Um, it worked for a while because, of course, it was incredibly 
dominating and abusive and there's nowhere to there's no re, there's there's no way to fight because there's nothing there's no oxygen to fight with you're just mm-hmm. completely depleted um and i had his daughter well, my daughter <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh then i was able to again this is like so it's 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 long and convoluted you asked me how i got out um do you, do you want me to get into it? <laughs> well, I mean, specifically, I mean, I, I, I think a lot of Westerners feel like, oh, if you just call the authorities, um, uh, you'll be fine. Uh, but I don't think yes. that was the case for you. No, you're absolutely correct. There's no, it's not, it's not like that at all. You are, I have to, so if you're living in Canada or in America or in Australia, you're much I'm in a much better position to escape, of course, than if I were somewhere in the Middle East. But it's still not as easy as that at all. Um, not only are there... So I'll just take it back a little bit to when I was 12, around 12 or 13 years old, and I wanted to get out of this house with this abusive man that my mom married. And so I went to one of my teachers, Mr. Fabro, who wrote the foreword for my book, And I told him about the abuse that was happening at home. And so him being a teacher, it's his responsibility to pass that on to to, uh, child services. And then the police were involved and the, you know, it became this huge investigation and a court case. And and when I was in front of the judge, the judge basically told me, um, look, I'm sorry this is happening to you, but that's just your family's culture and that's how they choose to discipline you and this is your lot in life, basically. You had the shit luck of being born to this family and this is the way that their culture is and so that's the way, you're just going to have to accept it. And do you think, can I interrupt for one second? Do you think there's, do you think part of that response is a fear of, being seen as Islamophobic. Do you think if you came if with the same circum- abusive circumstances, but you weren't Muslim, it would be treated differently? A hundred percent agree with you. Yes. And that's what I felt standing there. I wanted to say, so if I'm, if I had blonde hair and blue eyes and my family were from like Germany or Sweden or something, you would protect me. But because my family happened to come from Egypt and I come from a Muslim background. You can't. Like, how is this fair? Am I less Canadian than anybody else? Isn't your job as a judge to protect Canadian children? Um, yeah, it was. That's the thing is they think that they're being culturally sensitive, and he thinks that he, by the, by doing this, he's not going to be Islamophobic. But really, what he's doing is he's being viciously racist towards me. Mm-hmm. It's it. It was the most heinous bigotry to tell a child, I'm not going to protect you because you happen to be f- from the wrong yeah. cultural background. Right. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that that was the reasoning. But that's what they don't think. Like, just stay with that thought for two more seconds and realize why that reasoning is so flawed. You know, it's the same reason why FGM, female genital mutilation, is so rampant especially in countries like the UK where I saw a statistic once where it's like once every hour, a girl with FGM complications is admitted to an emergency hospital in the UK. 
Like that's how common it is there. Wow. And not a single family, not a single parent has ever been prosecuted. Now just imagine again, if it was a mom or a dad with blonde hair and blue eyes taking a razor to their daughter's genitals, that person would be in a mental hospital or, or in a in a prison. That person would not be just walking free. They give them a pamphlet to educate them to not do this to their daughters. Well, it's too late. She's damaged for life. What are you yep. going to do about it? And by them not prosecuting any families, they're essentially empowering people to continue, which is the subtitle of my book. So even though they don't, and 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 the, they're empowering the abuse to continue with Muslim girls, like what happened to me too, because my family and everybody in the community learns like, oh, wow, it goes all the way up to the judge and they can get away with it. Yeah. We can do whatever we want. They're not stopping us. It certainly and disincentivizes so it it. that. And yeah, I mean, I imagine it would disincent it disincentivize any other girl who was considering saying something. Absolutely. She looks at what happened to you and went, well, I'm not. What's the point? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So maybe it's a good time to jump into uh, something that you guys have both touched on, which is why uh, and I don't we can call it social justice culture, radical left, whatever it is, um, why there seems to be this uh, willful ignorance of mistreatment of women in Muslim communities uh, by purported feminists who seem to care so deeply about uh, getting paid 70 cents on the dollar or whatever it is, but not so much about female genital mutilation in Means you know in Western countries. Yeah, or even if you take an equal thing, like for them, they over here they'll be saying free the nipple, and yet they won't support women that are saying free the face or free the hair. Yeah, right. you know what I mean. Like, why is it okay? Why is it you know freedom for me but not for thee? Even well, when in you fact, take they'll the wear exact same in solidarity, they'll wear like a yes hijab. They'll wear it. You know, so I've, uh, Yasmin, you know this, but I, one of the reasons I want to talk to you is because I'm really interested in the overlap between radical Islam and, and SJW ideology. And I was in what, what I call an SJW for 20 years. And, um, I've, I've, the, from my recollection, I saw this change in the ideology because when I was first sort of indoctrinated in college 20 years ago, uh, I was a member of Amnesty International, and we used to do letter writing campaigns and and raise awareness about um, human rights violations against women in Muslim majority countries. I remember we 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 worked on some campaigns um, about women who were being targeted about you know, violence against women. Um, something happened at at some point, and and I think it was when the concept of maybe the concept of intersectionality kind of took over within feminism when feminism became fully sort of like, I think of SJW ideology as a huge umbrella. And once these other identity politics related causes get pulled into it and consolidated within it, then they, uh, or when feminism did anyway, it changed a little. And at that point it became something that I didn't see in Amnesty International very much anymore. It became taboo. And I remember being told, well, that's, um, that is uh, uh, xenophobia to criticize and a lot Islamophobia to criticize 
another culture and you can't hold them to the same standards that you hold. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And these are the people that claim that they're not racist, right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. You can't hold them to the same standards that you hold that, that it's trying to impose a white standard, which is one of the most condescending and white supremacist things you could say. Oh my God. (laughs) It sounds uh, like something that the, uh, it sounds like something that the, the white supremacists would say like, well, the white standards are different. Uh, those, those standards for the brown people, you can't hold them to the same. Like that's, it sounds very white supremacist, honestly. Yeah. Because like female genital mutilation was something we used to focus on. And then it stopped being something we ever talked about because it was considered that's just every culture's equal. And I think from, from my perspective, and I want to hear what you have to say about this if you think it's correct um but i think it's that they um sjw ideology is kind of this this belief system that the world is best viewed as a struggle for power between identity groups and then all of these different identity groups um they they have these binaries in each category so when it comes to race you've got uh, white is the oppressor or the privileged and any person of color is the oppressed or the marginalized. And, you know, the same thing with men and women and straight and gay. And um, once it, once uh, uh, Islam kind of got pulled into the umbrella, then it very much became anyone who's Muslim is oppressed and privileged. Mm-hmm. And you never criticize any anything about the oppressed or privileged group. You can't criticize anyone who's in that group. It's it's just something you're not supposed to do. And I think, I think that's why there's this fear of, well, that's just off limits now. And so somehow in the ranking of marginalizations, <laughs> they've ranked Islamophobia as being worse than uh, the oppression of women. So that's so just, they would rather yeah. protect a faceless ideology than to protect human women. Yes. Yes, because most most people who preach it and and push it on social media or most people I think are it's it's uh they're afraid. It's like a it's a cult-like thing. It's a so- social status thing. You're afraid of being shamed if you say the wrong thing. And now we've all agreed that you can't criticize yeah. Islam. So I'm never going to put my neck out there. Yeah. Yeah. I see that happening Exactly the way you describe it. And in fact, it was Hillary Clinton who said women's rights are human rights when she was speaking to women from all over the world. Mm -hmm. Like she wasn't speaking to American women. Uh, She was in the UN at the time. And and her, it's just so crazy that that's the now the same people that will turn their backs on women all over the world who are fighting for feminism, they're fighting for equality, or fighting for their rights. But to go back to what you and Carter were saying about that being a white supremacist mindset, the same thing about grouping people into white and non-white, to me, is another white supremacist mindset. Mm-hmm. Like to be called a person of color, to me, is no different than being called a colored person. So what have you done? You flip the words around, it's the same thing. You're othering me. Yeah. And you're making, you're segregating white people versus everybody else. It's disgusting. And what what always, and now you called it a cult. So now I can sort of understand because as a Muslim, 
There are so many things that didn't make any sense, but you don't question them out of fear. And I guess I always felt with this being a free liberal country that I didn't understand that level of it being really a cult and people being afraid to talk. Because my frustration has always been, how does this make sense to you? Like, can we talk about this? Because if we talk about this for five minutes, you're going to have to realize the flaws in your reasoning. If you are pro-LGBT equality for people in white nations, then why aren't you pro-LGBT equality in brown nations? Because the only reason why, the only thing that's different here is a skin color. And therefore, it's making you out to be a bigot. Like, it... It doesn't take a lot for them to see how flawed their reasoning is, but they kind of, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, there's almost like these blocks in their own mind that they don't allow themselves to think that yes. because to even think it would make them a bad person. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Blocks so you just have to accept it. Like when I started leaving my ideology, uh, which was a long process of kind of rooting it out of there because, and even now I have a little SJW in my head who like can tell me what the appropriate SJW thing. I just don't listen to her very much anymore, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um, they, it definitely, when I started leaving it, it felt like leaving a prison that I didn't even realize I was in that I had created around in my own mind. And I, I realized I had stopped reading a lot. I used to be a voracious reader when I was young, but um, when I was during those 20 years, I still read, but I, I read mostly, uh, you know, trash, pulp fiction, horror, whatever. I didn't, I, I wasn't expanding my mind anymore. I wasn't allowed to. I read the acceptable mm. texts. It's almost like holy texts within the ideology, the things that you're supposed to read, um, which, by the way, I see those book lists going around now. They're using um, white fragility by Robin D'Angelo. D'Angelo, uh, me and white supremacy. You know, there's a whole list of them. Um, but you know that I read those things, and honestly, I, I it was hard to read them. But you, I felt like it was my duty. They, I mean, some of them were very boring. <laughs> <laughs> but you, yeah. it makes you feel like you're you're the, you're being a good person. This is what the virtuous person reads. This is if I want to change the world, if I want to, one, one thing about the SJW ideology, and I'm curious if, if, if you found this to be the same in Islam, because I don't know very much about Islam, honestly. Um, I found the SJW ideology function like a religion and it gave people a sense of, um, this is how to be a good and upright moral person. A hundred percent. But The jihadi that I was married to murdered people. He was a terrorist because he thought he was doing a good thing. He honestly thought he was being a good moral person because that is what this book that he read told him. And so he felt like in order to reach the highest levels of heaven, I mean, he was recruited when he was a teenager. So he really saw being a jihadi as being like a superhero saving the world. And spreading the word of Islam and, and saving everybody from, you know, the 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 filth of being a non-Muslim. And uh, so that's that's the that is a 
tragic endpoint, a potential tragic endpoint to not thinking and just accepting a cult mindset and somebody telling you, if you do this, you will be a good person. And therefore, they can make you do whatever. I mean, there are people that when my mom threatened to kill me, she couched it in she was doing what was best for her and for me so that we could both go to heaven. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. I hadn't left Islam yet. All I did was take off the hijab. And she said that she needs to kill me before I, because she felt, oh, well, if you take off the hijab, the next step is you're going to leave Islam. So I have to kill you before that happens because I need to save you from, you know, an eternity of torture if you leave Islam. So I need to make sure that you get killed before that happens. And also, if I kill you, then I'm repenting to Allah. So that way he knows that I'm not like in cahoots with you, but yeah. that I've murdered you. So therefore, you know, I've sort of sacrificed your body to show him like, look, I shouldn't go to hell either, right? Because I killed her. So it made perfect sense, according to the ideology that she was following. And I suspected she was going to say as much. It was no surprise to me at all. I was disappointed, you know, because there's always a part of you that's thinking maybe, but no, she was too indoctrinated. Um, but that's the, that's, that's how it can be so dangerous for somebody to tell you this is the right thing and everything else is wrong. And same thing. We also have the same books that we all had to read and we all had to regurgitate the exact same yeah. information. Yeah. I remember being told my mom was a student at Al-Azhar University, which is like the most famous, uh, Islamic university in the world. That's the one that they go to for like all of the judgments about anything um and she used to say to me like oh my god look at all of these people look at these libraries and bookstores filled with books what a waste of time all they need is one book and she'd say <laughs> it with, with pride like oh it's just you know these silly people wasting their time they just need to read one book that's all they need to read and they would have all the answers um so and it unfortunately it's just not part of Middle Eastern Arab culture to read anyway like it it that's why the internet is making such a big difference there now with Twitter and YouTube and people are starting to get this information that they never got before because books were not ever available not in Arabic or in English bookstores are not a thing libraries are not a thing reading a story to your kid before they go to bed like it's just not a part of the culture there's an incredibly sad 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 statistic that um, I think it's like more books have been translated into whatever it was, Spanish, in one year than have been translated into Arabic, like, ever. Wow. <laughs> I may not have the right, it's, some, I, it's, it's crazy statistic crazy. like that from uh, Ideas Beyond Borders, which is a group um, led by Melissa Chen and Faisal Mutar. And what they do is they basically take books by... Richard Dawkins and um, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, and they translate it into Arabic and they pass them out for free in the Arab world. And uh, so they're the ones that had that statistic. I may have gotten it wrong, but it is something pretty crazy. And I lived there for, you know, about a decade of my life. And of course, I grew up in an Arab Muslim household. And it's 100% true. It's just not reading is not encouraged 
thinking is not encouraged. Critical thinking, dear Lord, that is punished. So you just, you just do what you're told and you shut up and you never think. And you actually forget how to think. Like you don't know, you stop thinking, you stop even thinking about thinking. (laughs) I mean, thinking is a muscle and if you stop doing it, you definitely... You definitely lose it. You know, something that struck me as interesting in um, about how the West seems to uh, the the leftist West seems to treat um, Islam is uh, I, I I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian house, uh, similar in some ways, but nowhere near as as horrific as your story. So I'm not I'm not trying to compare them. But when I tell people about my childhood, um, they don't go out of their way to say, well, but Christianity is pretty great. Um, your dad was just a crazy fundamentalist. Yeah. They, they mostly are kind of like, yeah, th- that Christianity, it's pretty bad. Um, but when someone talks about Islam, I mean, first of all, we hear Islam means peace, not a lot. Like, Islam means peace, not all Muslims. And even when we talk about terrorism, um, we have to invent words. So people say, well, it's Islamism. I don't know what the hell that means. I don't know what Islamism is. It's Islam. It's Islam. There's like, so can you, like, can I'm you talk about the language they use? I just, I'd like to hear your opinions on the language. Does Islam mean peace? Are they completely right and it's Islamism and that's a separate thing? No, absolutely not. There's no such thing as Islamism. There's no religion called Islamism. There's no Quran for Islamism. There's no prophet for Islamism. It's not a thing. But you're absolutely correct in that it allows people to be able to say, oh, I'm not talking about Islam. I'm talking about this other thing over here, which is so useless. Because if you're too afraid to criticize the thing that we're talking about, and you're just gonna invent some other phantom thing to criticize instead, then how are we getting to the root of the problem here? <laughs> how are we solving anything? Well, you're providing cover just, for the problem, I think. You're absolutely providing cover, 100%. This is, because then it's easy after that for people to say, oh, I'm not, uh, uh, I don't follow Islamism, I follow Islam or something. I don't even know how, I'm not a Muslim, I'm a Muslimist, so then I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but you're absolutely right, it does provide cover. Um, and um, there was something else that you said that also wanted me to just yell hallelujah, but uh, yeah, I totally agree with what you said. Same exact thing, they, they, they will see all of the flaws when it comes to fundamentalist Christianity, but then when it comes to fundamentalist Islam, they've got all the excuses in the world that what you said about it meaning peace, absolute lie. It's just an utter lie. The word actually means submission. And when Islam does preach that when the whole world follows Islam, then there will be peace. This is true. They do say that. Because the idea is that sort of like John Lennon's Imagine. If we are all following the same ideology and we are all reading the same book and we are all praying to the same God, then there will be no reason for us to fight. Well, we can right? stop wow. killing the infidels if they wars. just knock it If off. they don't exist. If we've right. killed them all, basically. They, there's a There's a... They talk about the end after we're, as we're killing the rest of the non-Muslims. There's a hadith that is just insane to say this, but this is really true. Your listeners can look it up. That when the Muslims are fighting the Jews, 
even the rocks and the trees, like even nature will start to support the Muslims and say, oh, Muslim, there is a Jew hiding behind me. (laughs) (laughs) Come kill him. That's awful. I'm sure that is so absurd. It's so absurd. But this is how it is so important that all the other religions, all the other people be killed and only the Muslims remain, and then there will be peace on earth. So the idea of Islam being a peaceful religion, having peace as its end goal, yeah, if you're a slimy asshole. (laughs) Well, I mean, ultimately death is peaceful, right? I mean, dead bodies are very quiet and they don't move around a lot. It's it's quite a peaceful, it's the same way that Pol Pot achieved peace for a lot of the population, right? I mean, the mass graves are nice and peaceful. Um, I guess, so, but a lot of yeah. Westerners will say, um, and, and, and I don't really know what's true about this, they'll, they'll say, well, uh, it's not very common. What you experience is horrific, but that's a weird radical element of Islam, and most Muslims, especially in the West, um, don't behave that way. Uh, and, and maybe that's true. I just, I'd like to understand two things. How common is it that this stuff is happening behind closed doors? And two... Uh, and I think this is actually the bigger question. Assuming that the, that actual behavior isn't there, very common, I have a suspicion that covering for that behavior in moderate Muslims community is rampant and that uh, there's a lot of moderate Muslims who know what goes on in more extremist households and they keep their mouths shut to protect the, the reputation of Islam. Yeah. Am I wrong? So I will answer those questions. You're not wrong at all. Your second part was absolutely correct. But... For, before I even respond to your first question, I'll say that when, you're right, I do get this question a lot, but when is it ever acceptable to ask that question? Like if I were here and you invited me on to talk about rape on college campuses, would your question to me be, but not all girls get raped? Right. But how common is it that girls get raped on college campuses? Right. Not all Fair college point. boys are rapists, right? Like that would never be a, a thing. And then also when you talked about being uh, growing up in a Christian household, most Christians these days are perfectly happy. They're perfectly LGBT friendly. In fact, the church next to my home has a big rainbow flag on the door. But if I start to talk about homophobia in Christianity, nobody's going to say to me, but how common is that? They're all going to understand that that is a thing. Because there is some sort of caricature of it happening in some circumstances, they'll just accept that it's part of Christianity. However, 15 Muslim-majority countries will execute people for being gay. There is no Christian-majority country that will execute somebody for being gay. But for whatever reason, the facts in their head and the reality, or sorry, the, the in the, the non-facts in their head and the reality do not match up. So they are perfectly happy to talk about homophobia and Christianity, even though it truly is fringe at this point. But homophobia and Islam, which is, and I'm talking like rampantly, like even in the countries where they won't execute you, you will be executed by vigilantes. Like you will be, you know, it's, it's vicious. Right. But they somehow, when it comes to Muslims, they'll say, but how common is that? Anyway. No, that, that's um, a fair point. I stand is, corrected on that. That was a... 
That's okay. But it's, it's a common. You know what it is. It's a it's a hot button issue with me because I get that yeah. every single time I do an interview. Every single time I do a talk, that's the first the first person standing at the microphone. I already know what they're going to ask me. They're that's always say, what it is. It's an aberration that it happened to you. It's that's not common. That's really revealing. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And the thing is also. Another, if you look at the Pew research that came out, I think in 2017 or something, um, I could be wrong with when, but very recent Pew research that has polled Muslims through like I think 60 countries um, and asked them these questions, you will see that the overwhelming majority of Muslims support things like me being executed because I left the religion. And by overwhelming majority, I'm talking like almost 90%, like in the country of Egypt, where my family is from, the statistic is like 87% of Egyptians think I should be killed for leaving Islam. Currently in, in Egypt, for leaving Islam, the punishment is, or the result is that you get thrown into an insane asylum. Because if you don't believe in this imaginary friend, then there must be something wrong with you. But you don't get killed. I'm sorry. It's not funny, but it's funny in a it like, is. I'm an atheist it and it's funny in that way, but it's not funny. Yeah. 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 But, but, but they don't think that's good enough. They want me to be stoned to death. Right. right. Yeah. The statistics are really, really scary. Now, what you said also about it being not as bad in the West is correct. Um, in the West, Muslims here are not nearly as fundamentalist as they are, like statistically, as they are in the Muslim world. However, it is still incredibly concerning. I mean, in the UK, there was a research, uh, sorry, there was um, a poll that went out that asked Muslims, and again, not funny, uh, how many, what percentage of you think being gay is immoral and what percentage of you think being gay is not immoral? And 0% of people said, of Muslim people polled, said oh that it is not immoral. So whereas uh, you will find them being more open-minded with things like Sharia law, for example, they're still incredibly, it's, it's scary how close-minded they are in, in other things. And that's because a lot of them are being brought up the way I was which is going to the mosque every Friday, going to an Islamic school, you're getting indoctrinated with these ideas all the time. And most importantly, you're constantly being taught that us and them rhetoric. So I was always told just because you're born in Canada doesn't mean that you're Canadian. Um, I know of a British woman that was told by her family, and this is a common statement, just because you were, even if you're like, let, if you were born in a barn, does that make you a horse? Just because you're born in the UK, that doesn't make you British. Um, wow. And so you're constantly, yeah, so you're constantly being told those are the enemy and we are not, which is why when I was 12 years old and I went to my teacher for help, the worst part of that was I was treated like the mob would, would treat the rat, you know? Like I went to the non-Muslims for help. How could you? We, we, it's us versus you went to the enemy asking for help from your own people. So, um, and in a sense that teacher, well, the judge ultimately 
confirmed what they were telling you, what you, what your community was telling you, which is you are not Canadian and we will not protect you because you're Muslim. hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. And that's why I fell into such a depression because I was like, well, what's the point of fighting? There, it's true. There is no, and I also felt at the time that this was Allah's will and he is the creator, you know, the almighty. And if he wants me to be in this house, there's nothing I can do about it. Who am I going to go to for help or who, who am I going to ask that's going to be greater than him that could get me out of this mess? And so you just submit, which is the true meaning of the word Islam, submission. Right. You literally have to just submit because there's no fighting. Now, this is me in Canada. Imagine people right now, um, like leaving Islam is, is getting much, it's getting quite popular in countries all around, especially the Arab world. My God, it's like 30% in Morocco of people don't believe in Islam anymore. Um, Or they say they're not religious anymore. But those people have to still, they have to live in fear. They won't say it out loud. They'll write it on 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 a private poll that somebody is taking. But if you ask them face to face, they won't admit that. Uh, because they know that they're going to be putting themselves and their families in danger. So, so yeah, go ahead, Carrie. I have a, a question. I have, well, I have a couple. I wrote down one, and you just reminded me of it. The, um, I think there's a lot of similarities between SJW ideology and, and Islam, like submission, fear, um, I think they're both authoritarian. I think SJW ideology also has this utopia that there that supposedly justifies behaviors sjw ideology though isn't isn't anywhere close to where islam is in terms of like you talking about your mother feeling that killing you would be justified um because you're a non-believer or sjw ideology is lay, currently laying the groundwork for that that's why they're that's why they're trying to conflate speech and silence with violence Mm-hmm. Um, and I see just, I went to a protest here yesterday and I saw countless signs, silence is violence. That is an attempt to lay the groundwork for who knows how many decades down the road, once you've gotten people to accept the idea that, um, that speech or lack of speech, or basically what they really mean is if you don't repeat our ideology, yeah, that's yeah, get in line, right. Mm-hmm. Then, then they're trying to lay the groundwork for justifying physical violence against people who won't adopt the belief system. Hey, um, Carrie, not to interrupt, but I don't, not, not yeah. to interrupt, I don't think it's that far away. Uh, if you look at like Mike Monero videos about um, what his college professors are explicitly saying about white people, like they should be, you know, rounded up and put on spaceships and blasted into space and good luck. Like there's, there's, they're much closer to that than, uh, than I think they're not decades away. They're, they're, they're really? pretty close. And even a lot of Antifa members, I would say, would argue that it's totally fine to, if you could get away with it, it would be totally fine to murder the, the evil capitalists or whatever. I guess I you think know what's it's funny prob- is they're mostly white people that are saying that. Too. Yes. Yeah. Like- yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and they're, and they're even, I've seen t- serious tweets from white people who are like, when the when the time comes and the revolution comes, if you have to murder me, I understand why. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> wait, you've seen it. Wait, you've seen a tweet that yes. said that. Yes. Wow. Several with that sentiment. I just saw one this morning that said that. It's like wow. Um, but but I, I do think there's. Thank some you big for volunteering. One. 
<laughs> one is that I think that's I I just I, I might disagree with you, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now, Carter. But I think it's a ways off that type of mass acceptance of violence if you don't agree with the ideology. I, I think we're getting there. I think there, we're currently in some period where we're moving there. But um, the other difference I, I wanted to ask you about, the internet. I think the internet did a lot to push ideology out into the main, the SJW ideology out into the mainstream. It sounds uh-huh. like you might be saying that the internet has done the opposite with Islam, because you were talking yeah. about how in Egypt now, if a girl gets dropped off there, she has the internet and can help get out of that situation. So how's yeah. the internet affected this belief system? Now, the internet has done both. I mean, right? So a lot of the people that burned their passports and went and joined ISIS, they were getting recruited through some online means, right? So the the, the Muslim Brotherhood are all online, the Hamas are online, you know, all sorts of terrorist groups are online. Um, they are using a lot of those online tools like Yazidi women when they're being sold, the 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 market for selling sex slaves was on WhatsApp. Wow. That's how that's where the market was, yeah. So they are using the online tools for their dissemination of their you know ideology as well. But the opposite is true as well in that Um, Now, again, it's a small percentage because you have to have Internet access. You have to be able to read in in, or understand English because there's not a lot in Arabic. There's more and more and in different languages, not just Arabic. Um, But it's still helping. It's still helping to get out there. Like I just saw a political cartoon made by a man in Iran that has like a he's dressed in the Iranian National Guard outfit and it says Iran on his back and he's pointing and he's shooting at these birds that are flying and one of them is Twitter and the other is Facebook and the other is Instagram and another is YouTube yeah so they're doing their best to shut down all of these platforms because that's how somebody from Iran could be listening to this right now or somebody in Sudan or somebody in Somalia or somebody in Egypt or whatever so if they understand English, they can watch a Christopher Hitchens video, they can watch a Carl Sagan video, they can expand their mind. I mean, these are people that are born and raised in societies that don't, that are, Holocaust denial is mainstream. Like that's the, like if you, if they would never, it's kind of like flat earthers here. Like you, for there, the amount of people that believe the Holocaust actually happened are about as common as the people here that believe the earth is flat. Do you know what I'm saying? Wow. Like it's like ignorance is the common thing there. And so, yeah, absolutely. The internet is making a huge difference for getting information into those countries, especially for the younger generations. And also another thing that's helping really is just, things like ISIS and the hundreds of other terror groups out there. In Iraq, for example, people were leaving Islam in droves because they started to see the result of it. It's very different when you're in your mosque and you hear the imam yelling and screaming about killing the infidels, and one day we will have a caliphate, and one day the Muslims will rule this world, and you're just like, yeah, I mean, I mean, you're not really listening. But when you see it, 
in your own backyard. One of my good friends, he had to step over dead bodies to go to school. His cousin was, you know, lots of horrible stories. Um, then you start to think all of this over here, they've got the rhetoric of that's not true Islam. People born and raised in Muslim societies know that that's true Islam because we've been hearing it all day long. We read Arabic, we can read the Quran, we understand what it says, we can read the Hadith, we understand what the Imam is saying in the mosque every single Friday. We know that this is true Islam. But it's very different from theoretically talking about it to actually seeing it in real life. And for those of you know people in South Asian countries that don't speak Arabic or didn't understand their religion, they can start to question it and say, oh no, this has nothing to do with Islam. But then if they Google it, <laughs> and start to learn, they'll realize, look at the history of your prophet. ISIS are following their footsteps one by one. And I mentioned Al-Azhar University, which is you know, the most prominent Islamic university. When they asked the scholars at Al-Azhar University to denounce ISIS, he said, how can I denounce ISIS without denouncing Islam? They are Muslims and they are following the religion and they are following the footsteps wow. of our prophet. So over here, in you know, you'll have Obama saying this has nothing to do with Islam, but the actual Muslims, the scholars of the religion that are you know born and raised in this ideology, that studied it for you know all of their lives, the leader of ISIS, few people know, had a PhD in Islamic studies. So for people to say he's not a real Muslim, it's like he's a realer Muslim than any of you could ever be, um, you know, unless you also have a PhD in Islamic studies, I'm more real. I know realer is no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, you know what I mean? Like you just, yeah, these constant just tropes that are being lobbed are, they, people don't think before they say them. It's just, this is the, the rhetoric that you're being fed. And so you just spit it out. And this is why, we have like this online, there's this really hilarious Muslim apologist bingo card that you can bingo. Like, oh my gosh. Like, Nothing to do with Islam. This is not out of, or this is out of context. I'm gonna <laughs> you have didn't to interpret that correctly. <laughs> we did an SJW bingo card. So oh, no I'm way. I'm going to trade cards with you. <laughs> it's crazy how similar it is. Because it's the yeah. same, so many things that when you're talking, I'm like, oh yeah, so much the same. You're talking about violence or silence being violence and shutting down people that, or sorry, um, getting people that don't speak up are considered being violent, like to encourage everybody's voice to be up in unison. We have the exact same thing in Muslim societies. You, It's like when somebody is being stoned for a crime, you all have to throw stones. Like if you don't physically throw a stone, then the mob will turn on you. You wow. all have to be. I didn't mob. realize that. So that's what, yes, that's yes. like you the can't SG. stand idly by. So it's not even just again, it's not even just theoretical. Obviously, speech like you, you can be. I have so many examples. Like people are getting hacked to death in the streets of Bangladesh. A young boy named Michelle Khan was beaten to death by his peers at his university in Pakistan. You know, if you dare to speak up against Islam, the, these are the kinds of things that can happen to you. But even if you're silent against those who speak up against Islam, you are 
no different than they are. Yes. So online, that is happening. That's happening. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, there's been a huge, over the past year or two, uh, like a ton of SJW um, wars, battles, pylons happening in the knitting world on Instagram. Yes, I know it's funny. <laughs> yes, and you have no idea. And and they are ruthless, the SJW knitters. They've they've they go after successful yarn business, small businesses, people who are yarn makers, pattern makers, yarn dyers, and they just target them one after another um, for very innocuous things. And they like 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 most recently, the guy they the store they're piling on today is a store that posted uh, a June calendar, and it was a picture of two hands knitting with some yarn. Uh, they got piled on for their white supremacy because the hands were white and because the yarn colors weren't rainbow colors for June, for Pride Month. Yes. And so and what happens is they get piled on and and some of these have I would say the majority of them have capitulated and done the demanded apologies that the yarn store apologized for the white hands today, by the way. Um <sighs> And then they bend the knee, they kiss the ring, and then the mob spits in their face further. Oh, of course, yeah. Because the apology wasn't—it's never good enough. This has happened. It's never good enough. Um, the because now we know what you are. Yes. Just because you're trying to apologize, we yes. already know you've shown your true colors. Yeah. And then they use guilt by association, but they also use what you just said. They will go through the person's feed and by trying to convict them of white supremacy by saying, hey, you didn't speak out. Basically, you didn't throw a stone at that yes. other knitter we attacked last week. So yeah. therefore, that's evidence of your guilt. You know, like you didn't pick up a stone. And it, it's very it, it blows my mind that you're saying that because. That's what's happening, but in a digital kind of version, they're all being, and they'll go into the comment sections of knitters and they'll try and scare them like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I saw that you liked a picture or that you follow this problematic account and you better stop following them. You better start like, stop liking their stuff or basically the mob will come after you. It's like, it's super intimidating. Um, one of the, I, I'm sorry, T Carter's heard all this. So he's like, oh, we're talking about the knitters now. But I'll, no, afterwards, I'm going to send you some videos. It's fascinating to watch what's been happening. Yeah, One of the knitters they attacked ended up, uh, his husband had to check him into the hospital on suicide watch. And they have, because they, they, they go after everyone that you work with as well and try to get them to denounce wow. you. And yeah. it's just, anyway. Anyway, that's one of the big, like, this is digital and what you're talking about is real life, but it's not yeah. that much of a stretch to see where yeah. the could end up if this ideology that I was in becomes as widespread and um, as deeply rooted for for generations. I could see it all of that happening in it's, the physical. It's world. the same poison. It's the exact same poison. It's just you know, or I, I should say, it's it's the same. It's a different poison, but it's causing the same you know toxins to, in in our bodies. Like it's the exact same thing. Um, but when you were talking about the the knitters i'm just curious like why specifically knitters is it because knitting is like a, a hipster cool thing to do like why why are they picking on them i honestly i think it i thought about this a lot i think it that it's mostly women oh. and it's mostly white women mm. and white women are very easily i think i think more than other demographics um yeah uh, mm. easily pulled into my old belief system yeah and they're also scared, right? They're yeah. they're they want to they want peace and harmony, and they don't want 
to lose their jobs and they don't want their children to be threatened and they don't want their husband to be threatened. And so they don't want to be the cause of any kind of yeah. drama or fear in their families. So they'll just capitulate. They'll do what needs to be done. Um, but, it, you know, that kind of stuff happens in the online world with Muslims, too. <clears throat> like there's this really? um, very famous uh, hijabi model. There's quite a few of these hijabi models. And they quite often, after getting famous, will take off their hijabs because now they have freedom and now they have autonomy uh, and now they have, the, you know. But one of them is this Egyptian woman named uh, Dina Tokyo who lives in the UK. She's Egyptian, British Egyptian. Dina Tokyo, T-O-K-I-O. Um, she took off her hijab and this online, this mob that you're talking about, it went for her big time and to the point that she's got a video where she does nothing but just read all of the hate and all of the death threats and all of the rape threats and the video is almost an hour long wow she does nothing but scroll and read wow um that's just one example but yeah they attack you like crazy it's the muslim like the progressive minded muslims get attacked just as much as the ex-Muslims. Like if you have a Muslim person that says, <clears throat> for example, uh, I'm Muslim, but I believe that women can be leaders <laughs> because in Islam, women, no nation will succeed if they're led by a woman. Or if you say, I'm a Muslim and I believe that women are not less intelligent than men, even though the, the religion teaches that. Or I'm a Muslim and I believe that women should not be beaten by their husbands. Whatever it is, if you're going to disagree with any part of the ideology, even while still maintaining that you're a Muslim, they will still come for you. They don't care. So for me to say I'm an ex-Muslim and I believe X, Y, Z, and they will attack me and death threats mm -hmm. and all that stuff, they it's not like somebody who says I'm a Muslim and I believe X, Y, Z is any safer. And I think right. it might be the same with SJW. So yeah. you could say look, I'm a progressive. However, I think that sometimes people do have white hands. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes people with white hands knit things, you know? They do have white hands. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, you will, you will be attacked for that. It doesn't matter if, and then you're no different than whatever, a David Duke or something, right. you know? They'll just take it to the extreme. With Muslims, one, one it's the Jew, the most extreme thing. Yeah. One, one thing that I'm listening to you to talk, one thing that's <clears throat> striking me is the, in both ideologies, it's, there's, a very, there's a very us versus them um, yes. uh, mindset. And you mentioned this earlier where it was like white people and people of color. Like it's, the, it's this people and everyone else or the social justice. But, but they both also, um, belonging to the proper group <clears throat> is something that requires... Um, demonstrating your allegiance through obedience to ritual. Um, so whether it's pick up a rock or say the certain thing or post a certain hashtag or don't remain silent for this, um, it's all about demonstrating your ritual allegiance. Uh, and I, I would say it seems like social justice uh, ideology, because it's less settled than Islam, uh, seems to just randomly change what the rules are a lot more often to, yeah. to demonstrate that you're mm -hmm. <laughs> compliant. Uh, whereas Islam, I think it's pretty clear what the rules are at this point. 
Uh, but other than that, yeah. they seem to be very, very similar to me. Um, they are similar, except that Islam believes themselves, they want, they are dominant and they believe themselves to be better than everyone else. Whereas I feel like SJWs are just a bunch of self-flagellators. They would just, you know, they, they just want to uh, cut themselves. I don't know that I'm care, I don't, maybe you'd agree, Carrie, but I think SJWs performatively self-flagellate, but ult- ultimately they are uh, um, self-righteous and believe that they are morally superior to everyone who doesn't understand the, the wokeness. Um, they're definitely self-righteous. I, I think there's two types. Actually, this is a good question, I think, Yasmin, that I had earlier when you were describing um, the man that you were married to, and it sounded to me like he was like a true believer. Absolutely. And, and so in, in SGW ideology, there are the true believers, and then there are the people who I believe have bad intent, who know what the belief system really is, and they, who use it to gain power and to oppress others, but they don't really believe the things that they're selling. Yeah. The true believers are more likely to be the self-flagellating ones, although it, they definitely do still, a lot of them have that self-righteousness because they're doing it publicly and they're letting you mm. know, you know, mm. but, um, but, the, but I, I don't know. There's a lot of people with, I would say, pure intent who get pulled into it. They tend to be more of like the self-flagellators, the ones with the good, who really believe that this is the, that they're, that they've bought into the idea that almost like they they were born with original sin that original yes. sin is their privilege their white privilege or their male privilege or straight privilege whatever and they feel like this immense guilt for that and they the, the thing is there's no grace to be purchased mm-hmm. <laughs> they try mm-hmm. to purchase the grace but they have to continually um engage in these performative acts what you're calling the dem- demonstrating their ritual allegiance carter yes they have to continually do that I have a question for you, too, because I saw this picture of a little girl. She was like a toddler and she was holding this sign and it said privileged. I just saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder what that conversation would be like between the parents and this girl, because the only way I can imagine it going is them telling her you are privileged because you are white skinned or you are privileged because you are whatever. Um, But in that conversation, aren't they naturally telling the girl basically, and therefore those with darker skin are not privileged, those with darker skin are lesser than, those with darker skin are the victims? Is is that the natural, is that what that conversation sounds like? Because I don't know how you can teach that to a child without teaching them to be racist. Yes, I agree. You are teaching them to be racist. And I think you are teaching children to see race, maybe for the first time, depending on how young they are. Yes. And to, to do this othering that you're talking about, which is ironic because they say they're against othering, but they teach othering. They That's justify exactly it. it is. Yeah. They justify it by saying, um, it's funny because before we started recording, you and I were talking about like, you know, what the Muslim arguments are. And I know what the SJW arguments are. And I know what they would say. They really hate the term colorblindness. They hate when anyone talks about um, Martin Luther King talking about colorblindness. They don't want you to use his words. You're not allowed to um, reference his, I have a dream speech because. What? Yes. (laughs) Yes. 
it's you're not allowed to talk about that because it because well if you're white it's easy for them to write you off because it is a racist belief system they'll so they'll say well you're white you're not allowed to quote him um if you're a person of color quoting him then yeah then um then you're a race traitor um <laughs> if you're quoting that speech because what they say is that um color blindness is impossible that everyone sees race and therefore to say that you're colorblind is racist. And, and it's almost like they, they're, what they're trying to say is that um, it's too bad we all see race and are automatically racist, therefore we're gonna teach you racism. It, so yeah, it, yeah. So we're gonna teach, but that's not what they call it. They call it we're teaching you anti-racism. No, but they're teaching you to see race, and they're teaching you to treat people differently on the basis of race. And that little girl in that picture, more than likely, the way it's being taught, and the way it's being taught in some schools, because Carter and I hear from parents all the time, uh, California, New York, parents who's who have kids as young as four who are learning about um, learning critical race theory and things that I learned in college. Yeah. Learning about white privilege. Um, And, and the way it's taught is that it's almost like, um, yes, you have privilege because you're white. Um, Children of color to use that phrase do not have privilege. And therefore that's the justification for this power exchange they want you to do, which is you need to shut up and be quiet because you need to use your privilege, they say, to dismantle white supremacy. Well, how do you do that? Well, as a white person or as a little white girl, you learn that you're, it's your place to sit down and shut up. They use phrases like, "It's not your, stay in your lane. It's, this is not your lane. Um, if you speak or have an opinion that disagrees with the ideology, well, then that's your white privilege. That's you speaking over, and they use that word in a, incorrectly again, silencing. That's you silencing um, voices of color. They claim to speak on behalf i'm sorry i'm going off on a tangent i'm like enjoying talking with you this well, is it's anyway. just so yeah i, I just ahead. wanted to show you guys something to so this i don't know if you can see this can you read that or see parts of it uh i can see parts of little this is squares. from an elementary school in the bay area uh ages roughly six through nine and it is an elementary school version of intersectionality it's every this is this came my daughter brought this home from school uh <laughs> This kid, she's homeschooled now, uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it talks about skin color, race, why race exists, uh-huh. prejudice, discrimination, uh, powers of systems and institutions, racial prejudice and discrimination. Um, talks about slavery, uh, people coming out of Africa and being treated very poorly and being slaves. And um, I will tell you firsthand, white children are taught to um, be ashamed of their whiteness. Um, and, and it's a, it's a, it's a, and parent and white parents do it because white parents are ashamed of their whiteness. Um, so they are taught to be ashamed of it. And, and this is an unfortunate fact, but you are an inherently part of, you're part of an inherently evil system and it's your job and duty to, uh, help, uh, overturn that system so that these poor marginalized and the implicit, uh, the implicit messages uh, incompetent people of color yes, can have a chance. It is. That's exactly what it is. It is. This is. This is truly shocking to me because everything that you're saying to me sounds like it could be espoused by some KKK grand wizard. Mm-hmm. Of yeah. course, it could. Yeah. 
And and you know, I was thinking about this. I was talking to my friend in the in the context of these riots. Uh, we're a little off topic, but not too much. Um, you know, if you are a young white person growing up in this country, I think right now you're being presented with, uh, especially you've had this rise. The left has kind of pushed the rise of the alt right and said, "Hey, there, here's all these white supremacists. They're a big deal," which they never were. But apparently, suddenly, there's a lot of quote white supremacists. Um, you're being presented with a false alternative. You're being told that, uh, on the one hand, you can accept the idea that races are unequal and white people are inferior and guilty and evil and should be subjugated, or you can accept the idea that races are unequal and white people are superior and other people should be subjugated. And there is no other ground. There's no third option of like, hey, can we all just be equal and no one has to be subjugated <laughs> to anyone else? That's not an option. And so I imagine truly... they are, they're creating these white supremacists through this indoctrination. Because yes. I imagine that a white it person is. growing up is going to look at this and go, well, which am I going to choose? I guess I'm going to go with the yeah. one that's not like, I'm not self-hating enough to go with this one. I don't see the third alternative. No one's giving me a third alternative. They're going to go down the the alt, I don't want to call it alt-white, right, but they're going to go down the white supremacy path. And it's not surprising. No, because they have created the, they have completely created the, the foundation for that. I mean, this is going to sound crazy because I honestly was really surprised, but my daughter was coming home and telling me about this boy, Leo, in her class that was new because his family had just adopted him. And so he didn't have any friends. And, you know, she's telling me all about this kid, Leo. She's talked about him so many times. And then when we got into the classroom, I was asking her, Who, who's Leo or which one is Leo or where's Leo or something like that. And she's She's like, oh, uh, he's not here. Like she, in her description of him, she never once said Leo is black. And that right. surprised me because I was like, wow, like she really didn't know to use the word black to describe Leo. Like, mm -hmm. but we honestly never had those conversations at home. I live in Canada, which is pretty multicultural but it's still majority white and her dad is white and I'm, you know, off white. <laughs> and, but we never talk about it. Like it's never been a conversation. So we are truly, I guess the, the evil because we're colorblind in this family. Um, but a, fr a friend of mine came to visit from Seattle and she stayed with us for the weekend and, and she's like a totally, you know, black lives matter kind of rah, rah, white woman and um all she could do the entire time she was here was talk about black this white that black this white that and it made me so uncomfortable because i was like great now i have to have these conversations with my daughter now i have to identify for her that now i have to get her to start noticing yep. people's skin color when i didn't have to do that before like i remember when we were reading this Dora book and Dora and her abuela, which is her grandmother, right? And so there was like her mom and her grandma. And my daughter was like four years old at the time. And she said, are those both her mothers? And I was just about to say, no, one's her mom and one's her grandma. And then I stopped myself and I just said, yeah, sometimes people have two moms. Sometimes they have two dads. Sometimes they have two sisters. Sometimes they have one brother. All families are totally different. And that was it. I never had to have a conversation beyond that. Right. And I just wanted... I just 
was sad that she couldn't have the same life when it came to not identifying groups of people by their skin color as much as identifying groups of people by their preferred sexuality. Do you know what I mean? Like it, w- yeah. it just made me sad that, that, that she'd ruined that for me, even yeah. though she's a good friend and I love her, but it upset me. And, um, it, it became a thing now, right? It's like, oh, mommy, is that person black? No, sweetheart, they're Chinese. Like, you know, like, <laughs> it was like, it was a, it had to be a conversation now. And right. I didn't like, I didn't like that. And it just shocks me that they are against Martin Luther King's words of, you know, basically judging his children by the, the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Like, who else is upset by that? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. don't you think, like, who is the group that is also going to be with you in being against, you know, this whole civil rights movement? Who else is happy about segregation? I've seen kids, videos of kids standing up in university campuses saying, this is a people of color space. If you're not a person of color, then please leave this space. I'm like, holy shit, how is that different than different fountains for white kids and black kids? Like, what have you done? Yeah. How do you not recognize that this is the exact same thing? When you raise a little girl and you tell her that, you know, she is lesser than, because, or she has to shut up and, and sit down and be quiet because she has white skin, that kills me as a feminist. Like, that hurts that a little girl is being told that. But can you just imagine if it were acceptable to tell little black girls that, like, oh, you have black skin, so you need to sit down. Like, my problem here is, why are we not recognizing that we are all human beings and that we all bleed red? Like, how is this a new concept? How how in 2020 am I saying this as if it's something that needs to be said? Like, they, they truly and honestly do not believe that we are all human beings and we are all exactly the same. They don't believe that. They believe that we are inherently different. And in that way, they are no different than the white supremacists that they pretend that they hate. Yes. Absolutely. And Yasmin, I've got a practical, like an actual, um, well, I've got a, a, a very specific answer, I think, to that question of how is it that they don't see it. They get people and they got me to do this. They, you can't control people unless you can control their thoughts and their language. They control the language first and they, they redefine, they come up with new terms like toxic masculinity or white fragility, but they also redefine words that we all know the common meaning to. So they've redefined racism and sexism. They can't get you to support racism if you, if you are a person who's against racism unless they redefine it and they get you to accept the new definition. So racism is now, they say, prejudice plus power. I'm sure you've heard this. Yeah. Yeah. And so because of that, it's like an out. It's an out where you can justify any behavior, any racist behavior towards white people because it's not racism. And what I like. But what's to ask the end them, game? What's the end yeah, game? I, they don't know, and that's why I think there's some good questions to ask them. I usually will ask, like, "Well, okay, I'm going to use your word. I don't agree with you, but uh, it's just prejudice." Then, uh, at what point does that acceptable prejudice stop? Like, how do? You, at what measurable end goal are we? E- do you think we're going to be all equal enough 
that we stop being prejudiced towards white people or towards men or towards straight people, whatever, this, this, this turning of the tables that you're saying we need to do. Um, and then how do you roll that back now that you've indoctrinated all these generations yeah. of children into thinking that this is okay and that it's impossible to be racist towards this one specific race or that it's impossible to be sexist towards men, this one specific sex. Um, how do you then deprogram that <laughs> once people have accepted it? They don't have answers to those questions. But I, I mean, I hope it makes them think when it, it, I, it makes but, me hope that it'll fizzle out because it can't. Well, see, the thing this the, Islam is simple. Islam is clear. An, an idiot could understand the rules of Islam, right? You just it, it's very black and white. So it has that that's strong, like, you know, it's powerful because the masses can get controlled very easily. I don't think that's the same. I don't think that's true for this ideology, for SJW ideology. I think it's uh, it's much more complicated. Yeah. And it's much more difficult. And it also goes against basic human. Well, lots of Islam goes against basic humanity, too. <laughs> <laughs> I I I, but, I tend I kind of agree with you on on that in that I do believe that Islam is much stronger and there there are fewer internal contradictions within Islam. There's external contradictions. Uh, it, you know, it contradicts basic humanity, but uh, internally it's more consistent and it, and it is more focused. But um, I would say for me, I I used to think of social justice uh, or intersectionality ideology as very complicated. And if you read in the history, you have to. You have to study postmodernism, and you have to go go back into philosophy and figure out where all this stuff came from. But at the end of the day, actually, it's very easy to uh, it's very easy to explain if you do it in terms of a negative. White male Christians who are heterosexual are evil. Everything else is a gradation of good. That's it. Um, anything that supports white male Christians heterosexuals is bad. Uh, and and really, this all about the destruction of Western culture. Um, and I, and Western civilization, I believe, is the, it is, and yeah, and so yes. I'm wondering, is that why they? I'm wondering if they're intentionally partially uh, partnering with Islam because they have the same end goals, which is to destroy yes. the West. Um, yes. What are your thoughts? A hundred percent. Yes, that's very true with the Islamists, and in Egypt, this that's exactly what happened, and and in Iran and in Turkey, you know, and Iraq, this has happened many times, where the I don't know what it is from the, you know, the far left SJW point of view, but I know that from the Muslim point of view, uh, they are wanting to spread the ideology. They want to, obviously they hate America, right? Death to America, that's what 9-11 was all about. Like, this is not a surprise, right? Bring down Western civilization, that's the goal. So whatever idiots want to support them in that goal, whether they're Muslim or not, is irrelevant to them. They just need to grow their army in order to reach that goal. That's 100% true. But it, what has happened historically has shown us over and over and over again is that the far left, whether they be a communist party or whatever, like what happened in, in Iran, for example, was once the Muslims took over, 
they invited all of the communists to a big party at a hotel. I can see and where this is going. And then they blew up the hotel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I was going to yeah. say, once you, once you have a system based on the most ruthless person wins, Islam wins at the end of the day. So they can do uh-huh. their, they can have all the allies they want, but it's, it's going to be the most ruthless, vicious person that ends up ruling that, that society. Just like that. Just get rid of them. Yeah. yeah. So, but I don't know, like, I understand why the allegiance is happening from Muslims to the left, but I don't understand the other way back because I get that they hate Western civilization and they want to dismantle it, burn it all down. I've heard this kind of, which for the longest time I was like, no, 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 that's hyperbole. <laughs> Nobody really believes that. That can't <laughs> be right. And I'm just... I have to accept it now that there are people that truly are happy about burning it all down. They're like, burn it down and build it up again. And I'm like, well, and this is the reason but that anyway. you see them trying to undermine the moral foundation of America with things like the 1619 Project and everything else. The, the whole, in order to tear it down, they first need to knock it off of its moral high ground. Um, mm-hmm. in, in the eyes of the population. And to do that, they can rewrite history. They have to say, you know, what makes America unique isn't individualism or the idea that there's limited government. It's that uh, America was racist slave state. That, that's, that's the foundation of America. That's the essence of what America is. And if that's what you believe is the essence of America, then it makes total sense to burn it all down because that's a horrible essence of any country. Um, so By the I, way, they're, that they're laying individualism- the ground. That that individualism, that word there, because individualism is the is the antidote to collectivism. They have now openly SJW ideologies moved to such. A, it, this is, I think, pretty recent. At least I've only started to see this in the past year. They are now openly attacking individualism. So th- we talked about mind blocks before. Yeah. They put mind blocks, and they tell you. Um, the easiest way for them to do that is say it's white supremacy. So now they there's a concerted effort in the ideology, and it's I've seen it trickling down to local Facebook groups now that anyone talking about individualism that it's it's a uh, what do they call a dog whistle for white supremacy. Wow. Yeah. So so they immediately are told not to engage with you, don't listen to you, don't that individualism is off limits. Individualism just means white supremacy. Wow. How how absurd is that? But people I've seen it being repeated. I was like, that's going to be a hard one to get people to swallow, right? No. <laughs> well, it makes sense no. though, right? It makes sense because their ideology is literally there's there's them of people. and there's others. Mm. And others just get, they slap whatever label they think is most effective on others to demonize them. And if that's white supremacy, that's the label that they get slapped on. It's the same as, you know, we've talked about Antifa before, but I read the Antifa handbook. Like they are, they're Marxists and they believe that all non-Marxists are fascists. So there is no, yeah. there is no, I'm a capitalist or I'm a freedom lover, I'm an individualist, I'm this, I'm that. Matter. No, 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 no. Fascist equals non-Marxist. So for the, for the social justice warriors, it's the same thing. It's non-SJW equals bad, and they'll just choose whatever the bad label is. Non-SJW equals white supremacy. Capitalism is white supremacy. Individualism is white supremacy. Fre- freedom of speech is a dog whistle for white supremacist Nazis. It, that, like, everything, everything you could possibly imagine that's not radical social justice ideology with the exception of Islam, is white supremacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe to infiltrate Islam. <laughs> they would well, die. Think, they I'm, would I'm, not survive infiltrating <laughs> Islam. Islam's a, the same thing because Islam actually doesn't have them as an exception. So Islam truly believes 
So you're Muslim and you're non-Muslim. There's we are the good and clean and pure. All the rest are, you know, they're, you know, you can enslave them, you can kill them. There's, you know, they're they're basically dehumanized. And SJW, Marxists, whatever, they're all included in that. So there's no exception given to them. So that's how you know that they're they're gonna lose that battle. Yep. But what I'm learning from our conversation is that my frustration has always been, but we share values, you guys. How do we not how do you not see that we have shared values? And now I'm recognizing that I'm the idiot. I'm the one who is just noticing that we don't have shared values, that they truly don't believe in the same things that I believe in. They don't they don't believe, first of all, they don't even believe in Martin Luther King. <laughs> no, they, there are no shared values. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now it's it's just dawning on me that I've been banging on this door frustrated and saying it doesn't make any sense, but it makes total sense from their perspective. Like they're never going to answer the door. They're no. never going to see it. They're never going to hear what I'm saying. They're never going to get these clear you know, like when I talk about free the nipple and free the face and free the hair, to me, I'm like, a monkey could get that. Like, why is that unclear to you? But it's because they have the mind blocks. Yeah. That Some they're of just them... not going to see it as equal because they don't see humans as equal. They don't see me as the same as them. No. Right. Well, Carter and I disagree on... Um, well, well, not disagree. We have, we have some similar goals and some some very different goals. One of my goals is I definitely do try to talk to people who are in the ideology I used to be in. And whereas he's more about reaching people who haven't been indoctrinated yet. And there are definitely people who I've met a lot of other former SJWs. There are people who can be pulled out of it. It's just, I haven't, you know, that question you asked before we started recording, like, how do you get through I don't exactly know for, I think it's emotional and more than it is rational and, and you can't orchestrate that. Um, you have to, I mean, you can tell an emotional story. I think we can get better at telling the stories emotion and using emotion because that's what they respond to. Um, but you know, my transformation started with emotion. I, I watched a lot of videos on YouTube of people on supposedly my side on the left attacking, physically attacking Trump people, uh, Trump voters coming out of rallies yeah. and stuff. And I had never seen those videos before. And it, it just, I was crying. I was like, this isn't, I didn't even know this was happening that they were being, I, I believed a totally different narrative. And, um, and, and I think that I honestly, when I look back, there were lots of things, but that emotional thing grabbed me first. Um, because you can't disagree with your emotion and emo if yeah. you feel it, you feel it. And so I don't know how to, um, you know, I can have, I can have discussions with SJWs and try and use argumentation and show facts and it doesn't matter. But, mm. um, but if I can figure out how to reach the emotion or the empathy the, uh, for the ones with good intent, they're in it because they have empathy. Mm -hmm. So if you can figure out how to appeal to that somehow, I don't know. Yeah. But then there's all the ones with bad intent who it's not worth it. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's 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 really great. I appreciate that. That's kind of when I was writing my book, that's sort of where I was going with that is I wanted them to see me as a human being. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I wanted, so uh, there's this TED talk that Sam Harris did in like 2010, where he talks about basically uh, there was a Mormon cult where all these young girls were being married off to all these older men in these polygamous relationships. And the FBI went in there and they essentially saved those girls from the harmful, you know, cult that they were in. And we understand that, we empathize with that, we support these little girls. But then when he shows you pictures of all these little girls in Afghanistan, covered head to toe, not allowed to go to school, people don't have the same empathy for those girls. People think of those girls as as truly, as a non-human, subhuman other, and they don't feel the same way. And I could not stop crying when I watched that TED Talk because it was like he could see me for the first time. I didn't know him then. I mean, now I know him well. And But at the time, it was like, it, it's just like the same Sam Harris and Ben Affleck and Bill Maher episode. I don't know if you yeah. remember that famous yeah. one with gross yeah. and racist. Same thing. For the first time, I was represented. I, could, I was see, being seen. I was being heard. And then Ben Affleck came along and shut that down. <laughs> but... But with my book, I was hoping to do that same thing. So when you said appeal to the emotion, I wanted them to see that the girls covered in bags in the Middle East are no different than little girls in, you know, some northern town in a Mormon cult. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just but but this is where I was wrong because I'm trying to appeal to the emotion of somebody who I assume already has a basic belief that we are all human beings. Mm -hmm. And if that, if that's true, then that person would be able to feel empathy and all of a sudden recognize, Oh my God, of course they're the same. Why do I turn a blind eye when it's these girls and not a blind eye when it's these girls and they would get it. But if you're somebody who is indoctrinated in this cult or in this ideology that teaches you, that different groups of people are different, then my appealing to the emotion of that person isn't isn't going to work. There's going to have to be yeah. some different strategy or whatever. Just yeah. fucking ignore them. Well, I mean, <laughs> the, the good news is there are, I think the large majority of people are not in that cult. I think that's a very loud, and I think Carrie would probably agree with this. It's a very loud, yeah. uh, effective cult, but I think most, Perfect I think cult. a lot of people are just afraid to oppose the cult because they're worried about getting piled on. And so yeah. they kind of are silent to the extent that they can be. Uh, sometimes they might throw a little stone so they don't get, uh, you know, stoned themselves. But they're not really believers. They don't really want to do this. They just want to be left alone. Um, and if you can give them some clear moral arguments and emotional support for opposing this stuff and for taking the hit, because they're going to take a hit by opposing that SJW mob. They're going to have to take a hit. And if, But yeah. if you give them yeah. a good reason and some moral fortitude, uh, that they can withstand that hit, uh, then I think you're doing good. So, And I believe that can happen because, honestly, there are countries where you will be executed for speaking out, and people still do. There are feminists in prison right now because they refused to wear the hijab. Right. So when you, you know, when somebody gets to the point where they're just so sick and tired of having a boot on their face, they'll, they'll deal with the mob whether it's an online mob or whether they're doxing them or whether it's like literally imprisoning them or imprisoning their family members even. One 
of these um, um, activists is in New York and they couldn't reach her. This, her name is Masi Alinejad. She's from Iran. So because she's in New York and they can't reach her, they have arrested her brother and her brother has been in prison for a year. Wow. Perfectly innocent man. He did nothing wrong wow. except for the fact that she, uh, his sister is an activist. Wow. And they tried to do the same with the rest of her family as well, except they all immediately capitulated to the Ayatollah and said, no, 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 we hate her. We have nothing to do with her. But her brother wouldn't do that. So they imprisoned him. Well, so um, people, people will fight back. So yeah. I let's end on a hopeful note, I guess. <laughs> I want to definitely, if you are willing to have the time, I'm not going to hold you to it on camera, but we would love to, at least, even if you can't come back, we have an Unsafe Space book club where we, we, for the month, we have our viewers read the same book and then we do discussion. So I definitely want to make your book one of our books. Yay. At, and then I'll come to that yeah. discussion. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Would yeah be awesome. I'd love to. Yeah. Well, so, I, I hate to. Thank you so much. I hate to cut this short, uh, Yasmin, and I do want to have you back on the show. So we're going to work our damnedest to convince you to come back. But um, we actually have another show we're supposed to film soon. So we, we, <laughs> we need to wrap this up. Do you have any yeah. final thoughts about um, the, the West's relation with Islam and any, any final messages that you would tell people, um, you know, about this topic generally? Well, I would just say that Islam is the second largest religion on the planet. And I think that a lot of people just assume that it's this little minority group. Um, but no, there's over 50 countries on this planet that are Muslim majority. The second largest intergovernment group after the UN is an Islamic group called the, or called the Organization of Islamic Cooperative. Um, I think that it's very important that people start to understand this ideology. We don't have the, you know, uh, the privilege of being able to just ignore it at this point. You know, we don't have that luxury. It is since 9-11, I don't think we've had that luxury. It's in our homes. It's in our backyards. It's in our children's schools. It's, it's a part of our life. And I think that everybody, I encourage everybody to just Go on Quran.com, skim through the Quran, go through Sunnah.com, skim through some of the Hadith, which are just basically the, uh, the life of the Prophet and, and his edicts. Learn about the history of the Prophet Muhammad. Um, read about how Muslim women are treated in Muslim-majority countries. Read about how non-Muslims are treated in Muslim-majority countries. And start to understand a bit more because I think at this point uh, with it being such a large religion and with its plan being to overtake the whole planet and with people being so ignorant about it, it's just a dangerous combination. And especially when you have groups like these far left groups taking them on as allies and helping to propel them further. I mean, when I see things like the, the, the Women's March, where there's these free liberal women holding hijabs on a poster or putting American flag hijabs on themselves. Exactly. Like, it's just makes you want to cry and throw up and scream all at the same time. Like, it's just 
so important for people to start to understand what it is that they're supporting. Yeah. And um, one place that they can go for that information is to look at my organization, Free Hearts, Free Minds, click on testimonials and read stories from people who are living in Muslim majority countries. They're, these are people that have gone through the program, which is basically a counseling program that helps them to just survive living as a non-Muslim in a Muslim majority country and how difficult it is for them. Um, and these are people with Muslim families like me, born and raised in a Muslim family and how your own family will turn on you and just have some empathy and understanding that we are individuals, regardless of what some people might think. And we are not the color of our skin and we are not the country of our birth. We are individuals. And when you group us into these different groups and you expect us to act like cyborgs in a certain way or whatever, or get mad at us when we don't toe the line, I want people, I want to smash through that illogical facade and get them mm. to recognize that Muslim people are no different than anybody else within them. There are those that fight to kill you. And those are, there are those that will fight to survive those. There are those that will kill anybody who tries to kill you. You know what I mean? Like there's all sh colors and shapes of everything. They're just human beings like the rest of us. And they also deserve freedom. W women in Muslim countries also deserve equality. Um, and yeah, so just just hopefully just educate yourself a little bit more, please, about this ideology and about what it does to people that are forced to live under it. Well said, well said. And as, as uncomfortable as those conversations can be and impactful socially to argue against uh, Islam or social justice for that matter, it's a lot easier than fighting an actual war, which is the ultimate mm -hmm. uh, consequence. If you don't, if you don't have the fight now, you're going to have it later. So, um, Correct. thank you very much. Uh, Yasmin, we will have you back on the show as a reminder, people can go to, you, uh, yasminmohammed.com, freeheartsfreeminds.org, and you can follow her on YASMohammedXX on Twitter. We'll put all that info below. Um, again, thank you so much, you guys. Thank you. Right. Have a nice Take day. Care. You too. Bye.